Well, how many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? And I want to ask you to join me in two places in the Old Testament. First of all, I want to read uh, uh, two or three verses tonight from 1 Samuel chapter 18, and that's page number 340, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And then we're going to go over in just a moment to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 6. So 1 Samuel 18 and 2 Samuel chapter number 6. If you'll locate that in the Bible, and we'll read our verses here in a moment. Our buses today did a good job of bringing people to church this morning, and we have three, 315 riders on our church buses today. Is that not amazing to just about three weeks ago have absolutely nobody on the buses, and then here we are three weeks later. Our bus, our bus workers are knocking it out of the park, aren't they? 315 folks rode the church buses over here. Best thing today, we had folks that were saved over there. We baptized this morning, and I just want to congratulate. I appreciate the hard work of all of our bus workers, and thank God for your faithfulness and your love for your bus riders and love for souls and working hard yesterday. And I, that's the third week now since we started. Uh, that's the third week of an increase just right in the row here. And uh, so uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, so you pray for our bus workers and bus riders and bus captains. And appreciate Brother David uh, Aldridge, our bus director. And, of course, he's been taking care of uh, cleaning up everything after everybody gets out of the buildings. And I want to thank our bus captains and the good job you're doing of taking temperatures when people get on the buses. We don't want to bring anybody in over here that's sick. And so please, uh, please continue to do that. But anyway, uh, they are doing a good job of just kind of acting as a buffer between us and our church. And we appreciate that so very much. And if you appreciate the, our, all of our bus workers, would you say amen and pray for them much this week that God might continue to add to our to our bus ministry and thank the Lord for that. Amen. Wonderful job. I appreciate all the hard work of those who worked around that, like the ones who prepared the meals in the cafeteria and then all of our nursery workers and children's church workers. And boy, it is a combined effort here on Sunday morning of getting that crowd into church, getting them settled down, preaching to them, uh, offering them an opportunity to trust the Lord and then getting them back on the buses, feeding them on the way back home. I'm telling you, that's a huge undertaking, and our bus captains do it better than anybody else, and I appreciate the good job that you're doing, and praise the Lord for the bus workers. Amen. Thank God for the mules. Amen. Yes, sir, I rode in tonight, and it was over going, <laughs> sitting over there in that fence. We fenced them in because they're trying to run away from us, so we have to fence them in now. And uh, so anyway, praise God for the bus workers. All right, let's read tonight. First uh, Samuel chapter 18. All right, are you with me? Page number three, 340. Are y'all, uh, did I miss something here? Did somebody shout at me right here. All right, here we go. First Samuel 18, look if you will at verse 20. And verse number 21, here's what the Bible said. And Michael, and Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give her, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in one of the twain. 
Look at verse number 20. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. Now go with me to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. One verse, verse 16. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. And the Bible said this, And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, wait a minute. We're told in one place that she loved David, and we're told in another place that she despised David. What's her story? I want to preach about that tonight. Let's pray. Father, bless your word and speak to our hearts. Thank you for all the good singing, good memories. Thank you for the choir. Thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for the bus workers. Bless your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for quite a while now in our Sunday evening services, I've been preaching through the life of David, who was without doubt the greatest earthly king that Israel ever had. You know, David would go on to become the king after some very turbulent days in his life, and he would reign over the nation of Israel for a period of 40 years. Under David's leadership, the nation of Israel would become the world superpower of its, of its day. So David was actually, King David was actually the most powerful man ruling over the most powerful nation on the earth. David's story occupies some three different books of our Bible, not counting the book of Psalms. His story begins back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and it doesn't conclude until we reach the time of his death over in 1 Kings chapter number 2. He is the second most mentioned person in all of the Bible, second only to the Lord Jesus, and he's the most talked about Old Testament person in the New Testament. I guess you could say it like this, David to this very day is still pretty much a prophet figure in the history of the nation of Israel. David was a great leader and a great man. However, for this series, I guess more than focusing on the life of David, we've been, we have become more interested in the people that surrounded David's life. You see, David was a people person. He was always surrounded by people. I mean, even in his worst times. I mean, when the, when, if we say it like this, when the chips were down and the days were dark, People were still flocking to David. He must have had a great spirit about him because we know bad-spirited people usually don't attract others. The old saying is this, some people are a blessing whenever they go and some people are a blessing wherever they go. You identify what you are. <laughs> and David was a blessing wherever he went because others desired to be around him. In fact, the large story of David's life actually contains the smaller stories of the lives of those who surrounded him. So in these services, we become interested in the people who walk into and out of the story of the life of David. And tonight brings us to another one of these people, maybe not uh, one of the more familiar people of our Bible, and yet, and yet a story that 
that we kind of glean from the, from the larger story of King David. Now, you cannot read the story of David without understanding how badly that, Saul, that, that David was hated by Saul. As much as he was loved by others, he was hated by King Saul. You see, after David's victory over Goliath, he became an overnight sensation in the, in the land of Israel. He became an overnight hero in the land of Israel, much to the chagrin of King Saul. If you'll look back up in chapter 18, the chapter that we're starting in tonight, and look at verse number 7, after David defeated Goliath, the women or the maidens of the land of Israel begin to sing this song. And it went something like this, verse number 7, David, uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And that was playing on every radio station in all the land of Israel. It rose to the top of the charts overnight. It was the most popular song that was being sung in all the land of Israel to the chagrin of this man by the name of King Saul. So he became the arch enemy of King David. But here is something that we sometimes forget. Saul was not only the sworn enemy of David, Saul was also the father-in-law of King David. David wrote the book on in-law problems. You ever had an in-law problem before? You ever had an in-law that wanted to take you out of this world? You're not by yourself. You ever had one of your in-laws to throw a javelin at you? You say, no. I say, then shut up. We don't want to hear your story. But I'm kidding. David's, David's sworn enemy was also his father-in-law. Now, the one thing we know about these Old Testament kings and what they were notorious for, they were notorious for, for, for polygamy. I mean, they just didn't have one wife. They had many wives. And David was no exception to that. When you read through the story of David, there were eight different women that are named as a wife of King David. Eight of them. Eight of them, and there's one verse, I wrote it down, 2 Corinthians 5.13, that, that tends to indicate to us that he had a lot more than eight wives. He had multiple wives and multiple concubines or fill-ins. Now, we've talked about some of his wives. We've talked about Abigail. We know Abigail. She's married to old, Car old, uh, old Nabal, the, the crazy guy, and we talked about her. She became the wife of David. We've talked about Bathsheba. Everybody knows who Bathsheba is, and we've talked about Bathsheba. Sheba. We've talked about Ahinoam. He had another wife by the name of Maacah, a, a wife by the name of Haggith and Abital, and another one by the name of Eglah. Those are the eight named women that were married to King David in the Bible. Now, before I go on, maybe in case you're sitting here thinking, we're, you know, why did God permit it back then and he doesn't permit it today? The answer to that is very simple. In God's mind, in God's will, it was always one man for one wife for one life. And God never deviated. God didn't give Adam multiple wives. God gave him one wife. By the way, she was a female. And God gave Adam a female wife. And the, and the Bible said God brought them together and that God laid down the original plan for marriage uh, beginning at that point going to this very day. Some of these kings took advantage of that. That was not in God's plan. It's not in God's will. And I've got a clear verse of Scripture in the Bible that prohibits men from multiple wives. No man can serve two masters. You know it. Good verse. All right. So, but David multiplied wives unto himself much much to his own, his own problem. But the one wife that David seemed to really love 
was his first wife. And her name was Michael. She was the daughter of King Saul. And you know the thing that bothers me when you read through the story of David, and I have, when you read through his story, every time you run into her, she's always called Michael Saul's daughter. I, I, it bothers me because she ought to be called Michael David's wife. Because we understand that when somebody gets married, that marital relationship supersedes that parental relationship. Boy, if you don't ever get a hold of that, you're going to be a terrible in-law. If you don't understand that once we, once our children become married to other people, uh, it, you know, th that, that relationship is far more important than the relationship that they have with us. In other words, that daughter is no longer your daughter as much as she is his wife. And that son is no longer your son as much as he is her husband. And sometimes if we in-laws don't understand that relationship, we can cause, we can cause problems in the marital relationship of our children. Buddy, it's time. There comes a time when you have to step back, stay out of their business, and pray for them not to fail, but to pray for them to succeed. Now, before they get married, pray for them to fail all you want to. But after they get married, we got to stop praying for them to fail, and we got to start praying for them to succeed. Amen. Michael, Saul's Daughter. Well, it's her story that I want to consider tonight as we look at another person who stepped into and out of the life of David. Her life is summed up in those two phrases. Michael loved David. Michael despised David in her heart. I got four things I want to say about that tonight. First of all, look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let me talk, number one, about Michael's weak love. Her weak love. Love. Now I gotta tell you this. We know exactly we know exactly how this marriage came to be. We're not left to speculate. I mean, we don't have to wonder how they met and fell in love. We got it all laid out for us right here in the Word of God. After David's victory over Goliath, the Bible said that Saul took David and would no more let David go home. That's 1 Samuel 18.1. So David become a part, a member of the court of King Saul after he killed Goliath. And boy, can't you just see, just a young man, and he is in the court of the king. He's one of the Servants, one of the soldiers, one of the one of the the people that work in the palace around the king. And you can just imagine as a young man in the presence of a king how, all, how in awe he was of King Saul and how honored he was to be a part of the royal court. Now we have in a couple of chapters earlier from this, the Bible said that an evil spirit would come and would trouble Saul. And David would just get his harp out, begin to pluck on that thing just a little bit. Maybe he played Rocky Top or something like that or whatever, like a, like a fox on the run. He is playing that. And that evil, spirit, <laughs> that evil spirit would depart from King Saul and, 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 and Saul would calm down once again. Old David was a part of the, of the court of King Saul. And the one thing that I think is clearly obvious from the story is this. David honored and loved King Saul. 
The only problem with that is Saul didn't reciprocate the, the love that David had for him. Saul was insanely jealous of David after his victory over Goliath. By the way, wouldn't you kind of feel bad when you were the largest man in all the land of Israel? The Bible said he was head and shoulders above every other man in all the land of Israel. And there's a big old giant out there cussing God and throwing rocks and kicking dirt. And you was hit out over there with the rest of the people. And this little old whippersnapper, this little old boy, uh, barely in his teenage years, runs down there and gets the victory. Wouldn't you kind of feel just a little bit bad about him going down there and fighting while you, the largest man in Israel, were scared to fight? I can see how he's intimidated by little David. And he's insanely jealous uh, of King David. And he wanted David dead. Saul wanted David dead. So Saul found out that his daughter, Michael, loved David. Now I think we're already we got some problems here. There's already some character issues with uh, with uh, with Michael because when Saul heard about it, he's kind of glad over it. He knew that girl would be a snare to him. Uh, evidently, she had some character flaws about her. And uh, the Bible said there, and Saul would use her to try to bring about the death of David. You say, how'd that happen? Oh, Saul went to King David and said, uh, "How would you like to marry my daughter?" And being in the king's court, he probably said, Oh, king, would I? I would love to marry your daughter. He said, Then do this. I want you to go out and kill me a hundred Philistines and bring me evidence of their death. And the Bible said that David was so thrilled about the possibility of becoming the son-in-law of the king that he went out and he didn't kill a hundred Philistines. He killed two hundred I mean, he, he said, here's your 100, here's another 100 to go with it. Here's 200 Philistines, the evidences of their death. I'm bringing them to you. And the Bible said that Saul gave his daughter's hand into the hand of David to become the wife of King David. Now, you just imagine what kind of a marriage it was. We see all these marriages over that take place in England when these boys and girls, men and women, fall in love. Boy, I'll tell you, it was a royal marriage in a royal Paris, uh, in a royal palace. It's probably something like we see going on over in the land of England from time to time. And, and here's the story. Michael became the wife of King David. But I want to say two things about that. First of all, I want you to notice in our text, number one, how she desired David. The Bible said there in verse number 20 that she loved David. But I got to tell you, I mean, you got a question. It must have been a weak kind of a love. I mean, it wasn't a kind of a love that was down deep in her heart. It was, it was a, maybe a head kind of a love and maybe not a heart kind of a love. It was purely on the surface kind of a love because you and I know that love is the strongest cord on planet earth. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity or love. These three, but the greatest of these is what? Love, charity. Love is a very strong cord. It's a very powerful cord. In fact, love will cause one person to lay down his life for another person. And the Bible said that Michael loved David, but I think she loved what David was. She didn't love who David was. 
You say, preacher, what's the difference? Here's what I think the difference was. I think after David killed Goliath, and I told you a moment ago, he became an instantaneous hero in all the land of Israel. After he defeated Goliath, all the maidens in the land were singing his praises. No doubt all the little boys in the land of Israel were out in their backyards playing David versus Goliath. No doubt the number one selling toy in every Walmart in the land of Israel was a G.I. David doll. And Michael saw all of this, and she loved the the, the, uh, the notoriety. She loved the accolades that David was, get, was getting. She loved the fame that he was receiving. She loved the thought of being identified with the hero. The only problem is she just didn't have a heart for the hero. In fact, let me tell you this. I honestly believe if David was still a little boy out in the fields watching his father's sheep, and his daddy was still an insignificant farmer from Bethlehem, I doubt Michael would have ever given him a second look. But in the heat of that moment, when everybody was jumping on the wagon of David and singing the praises of David and lifting David up, here is a woman, and because of that enthusiasm and because of that excitement, she jumps on board the wagon of popularity and she gives her heart and her hand to King David in marriage. You know, there's a lot of people like that when it comes to King Jesus. In the heat of some kind of a moment, in the excitement and the enthusiasm of a service, they'll walk down an aisle and they'll give their heart to the Lord Jesus. Yeah, that's what, how Michael desired David. I think she desired him for all the wrong reasons. And if you get married for any other reason, then number one, you know it's the will of God. I'm going to stop one more time and say that. I got one amen sitting right over here. If you get married, you better know it's the will of God. You better be double sure that it's God's will when you get married because I'm telling you, once you get married, there's no plan B. There's no plan B. You can't switch over and just pick somebody else up. No, sir, not in God's sight. When you become married, there's no plan B, only plan A. You better know for sure that it's the will of God and that you love that person, not for what they are, but for who they are. Amen. Her weak love. She desired David, but I want you to see how she denied David. You see, if you look over in the next chapter, chapter 19, there came an occasion, if you look there at verse number 9, here's Saul again, and he's trying to kill his son-in-law. And if you look at verse number 9, the Bible said while Saul was in the house, he had a javelin in his hand, and, and an evil spirit is upon him. And, and there's David plucking on that harp, playing that song, trying to soothe the conscience of the king. And the Bible said there in verse number 9 that he had a javelin in his hand. Verse number 10, the Bible said he sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. I mean, he just ran back and threw that sword and tried to, as we would say, nail David to the wall. But David, verse 10, slipped away out of Saul's presence and fled and escaped in the night. Well, the next verse, verse number 11, said Saul sends a regiment of army soldiers over to where Michael and David lived. 
His idea is to attack David during the night while he's asleep and kill him and get rid of him. And the Bible said, verse 11, he sent messengers under David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael's, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. And Michael took David, verse 12, and let, down, uh, let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And then to make it appear like he was in the bed, the Bible said in the next verse that she made an image and she laid it in the bed. She took a pillow. You know how you've done that before and made it look like David was asleep in the bed. And when the messengers came to kill him, she said, oh, he's in the bed. He's, he's sick. He can't get up. He's, he's sick in bed only to find out she was lying. And then next verse, verse 14, verse 15 Saul sent for Michael. And he said, come over here just a minute. I got to ask you a question. Why did you protect David from me? Why did you keep me from killing David? And here's her opportunity. Here's her chance to take a stand for David. Here's her opportunity to speak up. Saul says, why did you do this? Here's her chance to say, Daddy, I just want to tell you, I love you, Daddy. But I love David more. Daddy, what you don't understand is I've given my heart to David. David, uh, Daddy, what you don't understand is, is this. He's a good man. David, he's, uh, Daddy, he's God's man. Daddy, he's the Lord's anointed. And I just want to tell you, I've given my heart to him. And Jonathan's given his heart to him. And Daddy, Jonathan and I want you to give your heart to King David. But she didn't do that. She lied. I mean, in verse number 16, verse 17, she said, Daddy, the reason I did that is he threatened to kill me if I didn't do it. She denied. She denied her love and her loyalty to King David. Hers was a weak love. You know, it's sad, but it's so true in these last days. Many times when people walk down an aisle to receive the Savior, it is a casual yes and not a committed yes. Their idea is, Jesus, I want you, King Jesus, please keep me from going to hell. I want to accept you as my Savior. I don't want to die and be eternally separated in a place called hell forever and ever and ever, but I want to keep living my life the way I want to live my life. It is a casual yes. It is not a committed yes to Jesus. They want to stay out of hell, but that's about it. As far as standing up and standing out and standing for the Lord Jesus, it never enters their mind. You say, are they saved? That's between them and God. But why is it in these days we see people walk down the aisles and say yes to Jesus and we never see them anymore. Where's the commitment? Hey, where's the stand? Hey, where, where's, the, where's the, 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 the giving of my life to the Lord because he gave his life for me? I said all that to say this. Hers was a weak love, a weak love. But number two, I not only talk about Michael's weak love, I want to talk number two about Michael's wasted life, her wasted life. Because here's what happens. After chapter 19 in 1 Samuel, you check me on this, but after her, her, her story in 1 Samuel chapter 19, we don't read about her again. Not till we get over to 2 Samuel chapter 3 
in chapter 6. And there's a, there's a number of years that elapse between what happens here and when we see her next in Scripture. But what we do find out happened to her was this. After David left that night, he had to start running for his life, running from his, her daddy, his dad-in-law. He's running for his life. You know what she does? She goes out and gets married again. How would you like? Hey, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. She went out and just got married again. I mean, didn't even go through the problem, the procedure of getting a divorce. I mean, from the record of Scripture, she just got married right after that and just moved on with her life. While David is out running for his life, she is taking up with another man. She forsook him for another. Can you just imagine how that must have grieved David? I mean, while David is out running for his life, can't you see him many times sitting in the mouth of a cave somewhere or sitting out in the woods somewhere in the loneliness of that time and he begins to think about Michael and he says to himself, I sure wish Michael was here. I sure miss my wife. I wish she was here. I'd love to see her again. I'd love for her to be here right now. But I heard just the other day that she has gotten married again. Oh, how that must have grieved the heart of the king to know that his wife had just went out and married another. All oh, the tears that he must have shed and cried over what his wife had done to him. You say, preacher, that's sad, but what's that got to do with us? Well, come here. You know when we get saved, what the Bible likens that to? When you and I give our heart to King Jesus... The Bible likens that to a marriage taking place. In fact, there's a verse of Scripture over in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 4 that says this, that ye, talking about us, should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Hey, not only, you know, when we got saved, we got married. I mean, when you and I come to the Lord Jesus uh, that day or morning or night or evening, whenever you got saved, we became married to the Lord Jesus. We said yes to him. That day, we slipped the ring on our finger and said, he is our groom, we are the bride, and we commit ourselves to him. We give ourselves to him. But how many of us, and I said us, just like Michael, having given our hearts to him, all too soon forsake him and forget him. We turn right around after getting married to Jesus and we marry the world. How, how can that be? Can I tell you this? In the Bible, when a child of God, a born-again child of God who is married to Jesus, forgets about that relationship and forsakes that relationship and turns to the world and slips the ring of the world on, you know what the Bible says that is? That's spiritual adultery. 
That's just like this. That'd be like you being married to somebody and you find somebody you like better, so you leave that person to go off and run off with another person. You have committed adultery on your spouse. Well, anytime those of us that are saved uh, leave that relationship, turn aside from our relationship with our Savior, and we, and we turn toward the world, we are literally committing adultery on our heavenly groom. That's the reason we read this in James chapter 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. You know, he's calling, us, he's calling God's people that. You adulterers, he said. How dare you, you adulterers. You adulteresses. I guess that's the women. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Imagine. We can just imagine how our, our Savior, uh, how David felt sitting in the mouth of that cave, how he wept for his wife and wanted to have her. But how much more does our Savior, our heavenly groom, grieve over you and me when we turn us side and we forsake him and we forget him and the mouth that belongs to him sings praises to the world oh how that must grieve his heart how that must break break his heart how that brings tears to his eyes when we go about and turn from him and turn back to the world and we waste our lives living for a world that is doomed to perish can I have an amen I mean, you stop and think about this. You read her story. During this time when she left David, forsook him, what did she do? Where did she go? What did she accomplish? Nobody knows. The record of the Scripture is silent about her. That indicates to me that all the time she spent loving on another was wasted time. It was time that she could never, ever get back. Can I tell you the two greatest tragedies that take place on the earth is this. Number one is for a person to die of their sins and, for, and, 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 receive, and fail to receive Jesus and they die in their sins and they go to hell. That's a tragedy, but it's almost as bad a tragedy for a person who gives their heart to Jesus and then they forsake him for another. Wasted life. What's that song? that we sing, wasted years. Oh, how precious. I mean, buddy, any time we spend loving on somebody more than we love on Jesus is wasted time. So we read about her weak love. We read about her wasted life. Number three, we read about her wonderful Lord. Her story's not through. Go with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel. We run into her again. She walks off. She disappears for a while. But in 2 Samuel chapter number 3, we run into her again. But, but it's kind of amazing how we run into her because in 2 Samuel chapter number 3, Abner is on the scene. Remember Abner? Spent all those years fighting against David and finally toward the end of his life, he saw that he was fighting a battle he couldn't win. So he decides he's going to change kings and he comes to King David and he's desiring the terms of peace. Aren't you glad we got a Savior that will give us peace? And the Bible said in verse number 12, Abner sent messengers to David on his, on his behalf. And he says, Whose is the land? A saying also, Make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring all Israel unto thee. So Abner comes and says, Look, David, I want peace. Look, I'll bring the whole nation of you if you'll make peace with me. Look what David says in verse 13. And he said, David said, Well, I'll make a league with thee, but one thing I require thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face 
except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. You know what that tells me? All those years that Michael had forsaken David, all those years that Michael had forgot about David, married to another, living her life to please herself, all those years she was away from David, she never got out of the heart of David. David still loved her in spite of what she had done. David still wanted to reach out to her and to give her another chance. She may have denied David, but David would not deny her. He wanted a complete reconciliation of the whole matter. Abner said, hey, if you're going to come see me, David, David said to Abner, if you're going to come and see me, you've got to bring Michael with you. And can you just imagine when Abner came and he brings Michael, can you just not see David? I mean, he's saying to Michael, honey, I love you. It's so good to see you. You know, you can't even begin to imagine how many times I've thought about you, how many times I wanted to love you and hug you and, 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 and hold you and just let you know what I thought about you. Michael, I love you. Let's just forget the whole thing happened, Michael. This could be the first day of the rest of our lives. Aren't you glad we serve a king? That when you and I turn aside from him, when you and I forsake him and forget him and we deny him, aren't you glad there's a Savior, a Lord in heaven that says to you and me, but I love you. I'm thinking about you. You're on my heart. I'd love to hold you. I'd love to hear you once again. Hey, let's forget the whole thing ever happened. This could be the first day of the rest of our life. He's a wonderful Lord. Bring her back. I want to see her again. I tell you what, if it had been me, I'd say, you keep that home-wrecking hussy away from me. I don't want nothing to do with that woman, two-timing hussy. Jezebel. Hillary Clinton. I mean, I really insulted her. Not David. Abner, if you want to see me, bring Michael. I want to tell her what I think about her. I want to give her another chance. Aren't you glad we serve a God of another chance? Bring her back. I want to tell her what I think about her. Amen. He's a wonderful Lord. But I want you to go with me one final look and we're done. Second Samuel chapter 6. Her weak love. Her wasted life. Her wonderful Lord. But I want to close with this. Her wicked laugh. Now look at verse 16. Here's what's happening. David is bringing the ark back to the city of, of Jerusalem. For years it sat down at the house of Obed-Eden. You remember the story? And it had been down there for years. And the Bible said the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom for the ark's sake. God was blessing that house. And David said, boy, that ark belongs here in the city of Jerusalem with the people of God. A few years prior to this, would you listen to this? I, I know this may be boring, uh, but it's good preaching. But i got to tell you this. A few years prior to this, David tried to bring the ark back. You remember he put it on the back of a cart that was drawn by, by a cow. Remember the story? Because years before that, the Philistines, when they wanted to get rid of the ark, put it on a cart and tied it up to two milch kind, two milch cow, and they sent it on its way. And because David put it on a cart tied to two milch cows trying to bring it back, God killed one of David's good men. His name was Uzzah. 
Those, ark, those cows were pulling that ark on the back of that wagon and that old, that old wagon shook a little bit and that ark started to fall off and, and, and Uzzah put his hand on it to keep it from falling off the wagon and God killed him right there. You say, preacher, that sounds horrible. Why would God do such a thing? Can I tell you this? David was trying to use Philistine methods to gain the approval and to do the work of God. I want to tell you something, friend. You hear me and hear me well. God don't bless Philistine methods that try to do the work of God. God has a proper way for his work to be accomplished. And anytime you and me get a cart with some milk cows tied to it, I'm telling you, God's not going to bless that. Well, then why did he let the Philistines? They didn't know no better. David knew better. I'm afraid in our day, you get mad at me if you want to, but I'm afraid in our day we're trying to use a lot of Philistine methods to accomplish the will of God on this earth. So we're bringing in rock music groups to church and we're turning down the lights and we're jamming for the lamb and we're just walking, wearing clothes like we just walked in off the beach and coming to the house of God and we're singing rock music and we're saying, come on in. We're trying to do the will of God. Yes, but we're using Philistine methods. And God don't honor that. And God don't bless that. There's a right way and a wrong way to do the will of God and the work of God. So he finds, how many of y'all with me on that? So now he's got it right. He's doing it right. And the Bible said, look at this, I'm done. So as they bring it up, verse 16, David is dancing before the Lord. And by the way, don't say, well, preacher, I thought you said it ain't right to dance. Listen, you look that word dancing up and it literally means he was leaping. Y'all remember the way old Jimmy, Jimmy Spears and them used to run around the church and they'd get happy and leap when they run. That's, that's Holy Ghost dancing. That ain't this world's gyration calling it. This has been bothering me all day. This is not online. How's that look from right there? Can I tell you something? They were dancing and leaping before the Lord. The ark God has come back to Jerusalem. Boy, America needs for God to come back again, don't it? And we ain't going to get it done using Philistine methods. So they bring the ark back, and I can just see this happening. David's got the ark back, and he goes home that night. Michael, she looks out the window and sees all that happening. He goes home that night and said, Honey, you're not going to believe this. Man, we got the ark back. God's back home. Hallelujah. God's back in Jerusalem. God's going to take care of us. We brought God home. And she looks at him, and she curls her lip. She blows in front of her hair. And she says down in this verse, if you'll look down at verse number 20, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who had covered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. You know what? Well, she just rakes him up. She grills him. Over this. She is so mad at him. David come back from a man, a hot worship service. He's on fire. Hey, honey, you won't believe it. Man, God showed up today. Yeah, I bet. If you've been home doing what I was doing, God hadn't showed up. I mean, boy, she let him have it. And if you look in this text and I'm done, David said, okay, that's fine. Look at verse 23. Michael, I just want you to know from here on out, I'm going to leave you alone. Michael, you do whatever it is that brings you joy. I promise you, I'll never bother you again. And she died childless. 
There's a verse over there in the New Testament that says this, that if we don't watch ourselves, that we can become a castaway from God. That doesn't mean that God forsakes us. That doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. But what it does mean is this, God will set us up on a shelf and say, you go do whatever makes you happy. As for me, I'm done dealing with you. It's over. You know what? If you've got a husband or a wife that will worship God with you, you ought to thank God for that and quit fighting against that. If you're a wife here and your husband loves Jesus, you ought to want a husband that loves Jesus. You know why? Because if he loves Jesus, he'll love you like he's supposed to. And if you've got a wife here that loves Jesus, you ought to want her to love Jesus because if she loves Jesus, she'll love you like she's supposed to. Don't pull them away from that like Michael tried to do. Don't make fun of them. Don't, don't sneer at them. Don't laugh at them. Hey, she ought to have been down on the street dancing with him. She ought to have been down there leaping and praising God with him instead of up there in the room looking through a window criticizing him. And buddy, when you see somebody worship God, don't criticize that. Get down there and get in on it. Because that's, that's the kind of worship our God desires. Well, that's enough of that. Let's go home. Let's pray. I'm tired and you're tired. And we need to go. Father, thank you.